Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. All right, everybody, welcome to your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, we're excited to kick off your week and see a medicine. Mark Lazarus with you for the next hour and change. And I'd love to tell you that I'm super excited that I'm fired up for this show, but I'm going to be honest with you, Laz. I'm feeling a little hesitant, a little scared, a little cautious. Is there another word I could use to sort of, you know, that that falls in that realm? You know, I used the word trepidation when I was asking Connor Bedard if he was a little worried about getting a hit coming back into the, you know, first time from a broken jaw. I don't think that's that big a word. I didn't really think too much about it. I forget these are, he's 18 years old. You know, he's been playing junior hockey since he was 14. I, 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 you know, I thought it was pretty funny how he immediately shut me down. Like he was like, I got no clue what word, what that word means. Like that's a confident kid to be able to not be worried about like embarrassing himself. He just went out and said, I have no clue. Old guy. I'd have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we play the clip? Because it kind of, kind of went viral there on the weekend. Uh, because this, again, this is Bedard's first game back. He's got the busted jaw. He's playing with the you know the full face shield. And you ask him, well, let's let's have a listen post game as Mark Lazarus asks a question to Connor Bedard. Did you have any trepidation out there about taking a hit or anything like that? Today? I have no clue what that word. Means. <laughs> uh, this uh, interview between Mark Lazarus and Connor Bedard is filmed before a live studio audience. <laughs> yeah, everyone else seemed to get really get a kick out of it. I felt bad. I was like, oh no, <laughs> why are people laughing at the guy? Like, I okay. If I'm going to ask you a, a legitimate question here, if you took the uh, Connor Bernard's not your average 18 year old, obviously, but if you took the average 18 year old in North America and said to them, "Do you have any trepidation about the future?" How many of them do you think would know what that means? It's it, I don't know. I, I I have an 11 year old daughter, and I asked her afterward. I'm like, "Do you know what this word means?" I thought she would. Because she's a real smart kid. At and she eleven, had, and she said, "I have no idea what you're old. talking about." Well, you should see her vocabulary words. Some of these words are just like the most. Like I've never heard of some of these words that she has to learn. Uh, these like old English words that she, for some reason, needs to know. So I asked her, and she had no idea. So I felt like, okay, maybe I'm the asshole here. And I, <laughs> you worry about that sometimes. You worry about you know the way you come off. Like I don't mean to be condescending to anybody. Like I, I, I it's just a word that I use in conversation, and uh, not a word that hockey players use in conversation, apparently. Yeah. So I guess now is the, now the next time you interview Bedard or it, not, I guess here's my question. Is the word trepidation removed from Mark Lazarus's <laughs> vocabulary when it's, asking questions to NHLers? No, it's all about context. You know, you got to know who you're talking to. I feel like if you're talking to a 35 year old man, I feel like a 35 year old man should know what the word trepidation means. And here's the thing. It's the right word to use because like fear, fear is too strong. 
Concern is too mild. Trepidation means something specific, and it's the word you would use. Like when you're going out there and you have you're, you're just feel free. Would you be yeah cautious? Would be I guess okay, but trepidation <laughs> feels like the right word for it. Like uh, this is what I do for a living: is I use words. That was the right word. It was the wrong context, but the right word. I'll tell you, he and the goal got called back on Sunday uh, or sa- uh, Saturday, so I do it on offside. Uh, but boy, he was electric on that play. He he scored another goal, which wasn't great, but it, like, so can you explain to the listeners uh, the difference between Chicago with Connor Bedard and Chicago without Connor Bedard? Uh, he's really good at hockey. And uh, with him, they have a prayer. And without him, they don't. It's really that simple. Like, he is the entire offense. They just cannot score without him. They had 20 goals in 14 games without him. That is almost unfathomable to go that long with that kind of a scoring. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. What, what does unfathomable mean? Oh, come on now. Come on now. <laughs> Let me use my words. The English language is a beautiful thing, and I want to use good words. Yeah. <laughs> you have no clue what that word means. Yeah. Uh, they're just, it means the, without the, it, It's interesting. I, I wrote about this off the game on Sunday, on Saturday. It's not just the fans and the ticket sellers and the jersey sales that get a lift from this kid. It's the Blackhawks themselves. And it's 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 a strange phenomenon when you have, you know, 30-something-year-old men, guys who've won the Stanley Cup, guys who've been an NHL captain, and they're looking to this child. He's a child. He's 18 years old. And they're looking to him because they know how much better he is and how much life he gives the team and how much hope he gives the team. Like he's not the captain. Like Nick Felino is the default, the de facto captain here. Like he is clearly the guy running the room and Jason Dickinson and Tyler Johnson and Connor Murphy. They've got guys like that. But Connor Bedard is the heart of this team and they all know it. He's 18 years old, but they go, I think it was uh, um, Felino said, we go as he goes. And it's, it's amazing to me that these, you know, very proud professional athletes can, recognize that and don't feel weird about that like this kid he's just another teammate and he's our guy and he's the guy who's going to lead us into this whole next chapter of the franchise history it's really remarkable is there a different feel in the building too like i know i saw uh uh, powers had the tweet about more tickets are being sold or like actual palpable buzz in the building when he's playing versus those few weeks when he wasn't oh no question his first game back he stepped on the ice for warm-ups and there was a cheer like, it's just a different, like, you look at this lineup. It used to be, you know, you when you had seven Hall of Famers on the team with Kane and Taves and Seabrook and Keith and Sharp and Jalmerson and all these great players, that when one guy was out, there was still a reason to come to the ballpark, as they say. You know, there were still guys that were worth seeing. No offense to anyone on the Blackhawks right now. This, it, You know, these are, these are proud, you know, accomplished athletes. But without Bedard, there is no draw. There is no selling point. You know, uh, Alex Vlasic has turned into a terrific player. He's going to be a, a Jacob Slavin type for the next 10, 15 years. But he's not the draw. He doesn't have the buzz that Connor Bedard does. It's, just a, it's a completely different environment at the United Center when he's in the lineup. All right, I'll tell you what, Laz. Yeah, it was a lot of fun watching Connor Bedard on the weekend. He uh, he torched Ottawa a little bit there. It's, it's just good for the game to have uh, Connor Bedard back. It's good for our show to have the insiders, as we do every Monday. It's Pierre Lebrun and Chris Johnston. And I got to ask you guys. What was it like, just real quick off the top, outdoor game, two outdoor games of the weekend, at MetLife, where it's the home of the Giants, right? So we can, we can we're Cowboys fans, we can make uh, fun of the Giants. But hey, what do you guys think of the whole spectacle of, of the weekend where we had back-to-back outdoor games? Hang on, hang on. None of this we're Cowboys fans here. As a Giants fan, <laughs> That's right. I will not be lumped into that horrible group. Let's, let's get that out of the way right away. <sighs> Well, I'm sure it was nice for Giants fans to see scoring in their stadium yesterday. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, listen, I, I'll admit I'm a bit outdoored out. Uh, you know, Chris and I back in the day covered all all of the a lot of the original Winter Classic games, and and they're fantastic. I'm glad the league is still doing it, and now the stadium mm-hmm. series. But it's not appointment intelligent for me. But I did uh, I did absolutely watch Rangers and Islanders because the game had so much against in this thing, especially for the Islanders. So I I was tuned in. Thought the atmosphere was was fabulous. Seventy nine thousand fans, and the Rangers uh, pulling their goalie with five and a half minutes left down two men is the highlight of my weekend because I I'm so bull. I talk about this with my kids' coaches a ton <laughs> that. When you're down a couple of goals, I love the idea of going with the math. Remember the Wall Street Journal did that study years ago about when you should pull the goalie? 
And it's just stuck with me. And I love that Pierre Laviolette did that. They get the goal on the five on three, and then they pull the goalie again and get the goal in the six on four. To me, the 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 more time left, you know, I, I love the early pulls. So that's my take. Well, it's away. funny because Patrick Waugh kind of brought that into the NHL, right? Who's the island yeah. on the other bench? He's yes. the one who started pulling the goalie with six minutes left when he first came to yeah. Colorado. Yeah, and it's absolutely. it's no surprise to hear Pierre that you are that hockey dad that's in the coach's ear, uh, second no. guessing everything and I, I trying to manage the stands. <laughs> but you know, I'll say this from 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 having been to a number of those games. I think it's not meant to be a TV product. It, it's so much better in the stadium. Obviously, there's a whole you know aspect of tailgating and and you know being outside in the winter time. I you know I think that that it looked like a great scene there and. It's nice to see the rare both outdoor games, actually, Saturday and Sunday. There's some goal scoring in them because so often I think you get in there and when we're just talking about the hockey itself, you know, you end up with two, one or three, one games. I know there was a shutout at the Winter Classic this year by Joey Decord in, in Seattle, but sometimes the offense doesn't come in those games. But to see the Rangers make it compelling and have a comeback and then kind of a, a weird, weird one to win it in overtime. Uh, a pretty entertaining weekend, I think. Yeah, listen, I guess, Pierre, let's start with, uh, as we go around the league, let's start with your column that you dropped on Monday, a conversation with Don Waddell. I mean, everyone looks at Carolina is like, you need a goalie and you need a sniper. You need a finisher. What's what's the general manager's thinking in, in Carolina? Yeah, uh, chatted with him yesterday. Uh, they are not looking at training for a goalie now. And he did admit in our interview that they were for a while um, because of all the and gold cheer and frankly some inconsistency. Remember Andy Ranta going on waivers, but of course Andy Ranta coming back and having a great streak of his own. But right now, uh, Kachukov's playing well. Freddie Anderson's on the men. Uh, they're not. They're fine in gold, to use his words, quote unquote. And obviously, they feel bullish about their depth and their talent on the blue line. He's not looking there, which leaves one area. The, the Don Waddell said he's looking. They're looking for a top nine forward and potentially also a fourth line depth. So not one, but two forwards for the Hurricanes. And as always, and we got into this, the Hurricanes are a bit of a unicorn among the cup contenders every year because they don't like paying high prices for rentals. They'll pay medium prices for rentals. They went out and got Shane Goss's bear last year and Justin Pugliarvi. But they will not get into the arms race for pending UFAs if it means first round picks and top prospects. So. They're looking more, if they can, for that top nine forward, uh, to use Don Waddell's words, someone with term left, someone that they can have for a couple of years and not just this year, which, as you guys know, makes it more difficult. It's harder to make hockey deals before the deadline compared to rental deals, but that's what they're looking at. Do we? Do, I mean, I look at that, and I look at that as a huge mistake. Like, Carolina's in their championship window here, and every year it comes down to the same thing. They don't, their goalies aren't quite good enough, and they don't have enough you know, high-end scorers to get past that second, third round. Uh, what What is the general thought around the league on what Carolina is? Are they viewed as legitimate threats with, you know, Kachetkov as their number one goaltender with, you know, Svechnikov as their number one scorer? Like, what what is the view of them around the league right now? I'd put them in the second tier, you know, if, if we're sort of doing an unofficial in terms of threats. I mean, this year is so strange. I, I feel like the field is wide open in Carolina, if, if you share that view would be among the teams I think has a chance to get it done. Obviously, they've, they've been in the playoffs a lot. They've won series, but they haven't strung it together and, and got to, you know, for it's been a few years since they were in a conference final, and obviously haven't got to the Stanley Cup final with the current core players they have. But, you know, they they they, they operate in their own way, right? They, they have an owner who is an outside-the-box thinker and I think has a lot of influence on the front office. He's not the kind of owner that, that, that you know, lets the, the hockey ops staff to make all the decisions and just report to him. He's involved. And so... You know, I think that the view is they're a good team, maybe not quite a great team, and, and you know, but this is such a strange year in the East. I, I don't know, I don't even know who I'd be picking right now. If you say gun to your head, you have to pick one team out of the East to get to the Cup final. That'd be a difficult decision at this point in time for me. Yeah, it is wide open, and I will say that you know, Waddell and the Hurricanes front office were pretty uh, universally criticized by a lot of people after the trade line deadline 12 months ago because they ended up not really doing anything that big other than Gosses Bear. Um, not for lack of trying. As you know, they were hard on Team Meyer, but ended up losing out on him to New Jersey. But that was your typical Carolina deal. They were trying to make a hockey deal with someone that would play for them for many years had they been able to sign him. Um, having said that, uh, you know, Mark, I know you mentioned 
you know, the drawbacks in their lineup. They did make the Eastern Conference final last year, despite not being a winner at the trade deadline, right? I mean, they 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 made it to the final four. Now you can see that two ways. Does that show you how we overrate the trade deadline? Which, by the way, is okay. Trade Center, TSN, March 8th, all day long. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, do we overrate the trade deadline? Or on the flip side, had they made a move at the deadline last year, kind of like Vegas did with Barbashev, does Carolina beat Florida? And is, you know, you could go crazy with the with with the what ifs. Um, but I just want to point out that that they were they were on everyone's losers list a year ago after the trade deadline, and they end up final four. So. It, it just feels know. to me that that's that's their ceiling when they're not really being as aggressive as some of the other contenders are. I let me ask you this: This is something I've always wondered. The NHL's trade deadline is so much later in the season than other sports. Would it look a lot different if teams were forced to make a decision whether they're contenders or not in early February instead of in early March? Would that make much of a dent? Do you think? Would that increase, decrease? What would that do to the uh, to the overall landscape in the trade? It, deadline? it would mean we wouldn't have any trades. I think. <laughs> I don't know, TJ. What do you think? <laughs> I, I, that's where I'm inclined to go. It's funny. I'm actually working on a story with Rob Rossi on this very topic right now, and so huh. I have spoken to some people specific to that around the league in the last couple of weeks. And the feeling is that it, you know, there's already so many teams. Like even we're two and a half weeks out from this deadline, and there's a lot of teams that kind of feel like they're on the bubble. They're not committed sellers or buyers at this point in time. I think if right. you rewound back, say a, a month or three weeks, you know, even prior to that, you just have so many teams in the middle that wouldn't know what to do. Um, you know, I think from, there are certainly people out there though, that believe that the, the deals that get made would be more impactful. I know that was part of Vancouver sticking and getting Elias Lindholm and, and Winnipeg and going and trading for Sean Monahan when they did just getting another 10 to 15 games, say that, that had they waited till March 8th to make those moves. And so it cuts both ways. Actually, Nathan McKinnon unprompted at the all-star game went out and said, he'd like to see the trade deadline moved earlier. So I mean, I, I think there is a division of opinion there, but but I, I would guess by having it as late in the season as possible, you, you are going to maximize the number of deals you get. But, you know, you might not get the, the impact you want because it takes time to get comfortable. It takes time maybe to figure out where players fit in the team. And, you know, basically our deadline comes six weeks from the end of the regular season, which really isn't much time to do all those things. But the one thing we should point out, too, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's been a dramatic impact, but it's been an impact. This is the final year of the panic impacted deadline in the sense that the salary cap has barely gone up now for a number of years. And it's just making hard for teams to maneuver still, you know, does that make the deadline different in the year when the cap finally goes up in a tangible way? We'll see. I mean, my guess is most contenders will spend that money. So probably not, but you do hear that from GMs that, that this era that we've been in since 2020 has added yet another layer to the deadline in the sense that, uh, you know, it's dollar in, dollar out for a lot of contenders. Uh, you know, CJ, you mentioned, you know, some of those teams that are in the middle that don't know what they're going to do. Boy, it feels like Pittsburgh is the epitome of that team, right? They don't know where they're going. Are they a contender? Are they, is it time to strip it down? Curious to pick both of your brains and CJ, I'll start with you on this one, on, on the Jake Gensel situation. He's going to be out until after the uh, trade deadline. So how does that alter uh, Pittsburgh's thinking and how does it alter other teams maybe in whether or not they want to acquire a guy that's a pending UFA who's hurt right now? Well, you know, I think it makes it a tough situation. I mean, ideally you're not trading a player that the last game he played was in, in early to mid February. Um, you know, I think the good news on the Gensel situation is that the thought is he'll be ready to to play pretty much right after the trade deadline. Um, I think it's a broken bone in his hand. Uh, which, you know, I'm not saying it's good, but it's not the sort of injury that's necessarily likely to linger. It's just a matter of letting it heal, letting him get his strength back up and, and being able to play. And so I think on on that front, it's it's not as bad as it maybe, you know, was feared initially uh, when Gensel went out of the game last week. Um, you know, but for, for Kyle Dubas, he's wanted to give his team as much time as possible before. When you take over teams, so you got a first, you know, a new GM in place in that organization. You've got Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, um, Chris Letang, knowing that they don't have, you know, a massive amount of runway on their respective careers, and, and obviously are trying to, to to find a way to get one more Stanley Cup to Pittsburgh. I mean, those guys, I can imagine, don't necessarily want to see their GM, you know, trading away useful parts of the team. But you know, I think that's kind of the line that that Dubas has to walk. I do believe when push comes to shove, you know, as we get close to March eighth, if they don't make a push, if they're still a fair ways back in the wild card spot, I I really do believe they're going to try to move them because. This is a pretty valuable deadline piece to, 
to trade. You know, he was on pace again for over 30 goals, over 80 points when, when he went out with the injury this week. And, and, you know, this is just a team that hasn't drafted in the first round very much in the last 12 years because they've been going for it at every deadline. And so I think that the opportunity to add at least another first round pick plus perhaps some other assets is, is going to be too good to pass up. Uh, you know, it just looks to me like the Penguins don't quite have it. I mean, they've, they've had this amazing year from Sidney Crosby at age 36. Um, you know, he's performed well. And they're still, they're still in the situation they are five or six points back here with, with a couple weeks to the deadline. So, you know, I, I do think Gensel, certainly I know from other contending teams looking for forwards is, is at top of their list or in their top two as they sort of survey what they think will be available. And I think Pittsburgh will ultimately end up moving him prior to that deadline, you know, barring a five-game winning streak or something starting this week. It, there was an injured player traded at the deadline last year, Chris. I remember you and, you and I were working on that file. Now his name escapes me. Kind of amazing. But anyway, it does happen. And guys get dealt because teams get the medical info and understand that he's going to come back and help them eventually. But I think the impact is twofold, and CJ covered a lot of it. But number one, if you're an acquiring team, you want to have as much on your side as possible before trading for Gensel because you want as much health and health medical update as possible closer to the deadline. So I think potentially what it does is delay Gensel deal, which might be fine for Pittsburgh because CJ says they want as much time as possible to work themselves back in the race. But the second impact, and it's kind of the most obvious one, is are you ready to pay the same price that you were before the injury if you're a contender? I mean, okay, I still want to trade for him, and I think he's going to get back to health, but do you know that for sure that he's still the same impact player? I know if I'm a contender, I'm going to try and discount that price a little. Um, and finally, on the overall forward market, if all these teams have Gensel number one on their rental list for forwards, does this delay the entire market closer to March 8th? Because if you're if you're going down to Tarasenko or Eberly or whomever else after Gensel, but you got to wait till Gensel to figure itself out, does that delay everything? I, you know, maybe not, but that's something to think about. The Calgary, I feel like we've been talking about them since like 2014 now about what they're going to do with Tanev and <laughs> with Anafin. It's just never ending. You know, this is a team that's. You're just telling points. us that your Blackhawks have no one, that, no one to to move. Come on, lads. You're just they jealous. Don't. There's nothing going on in Chicago. I, I'm incredibly jealous. There's nothing to talk about here. Last year, I was milking Kane and Taves since November, but with Calgary here, you know, they're five points out of a playoff spot. There's no way they delude themselves into thinking they're playoff contenders, do they? And even and would getting it up a, a, a one round of the playoffs be enough to warrant holding on to some of these guys, or are they going to make these moves eventually? They're going to make the moves. You know, I, I think that, that Craig Conroy has is, is kind of telemarked this, you know, in saying right from the start of the year, he's, he doesn't want to see a, a prime UFA walk out the door for nothing the way, you know, that organization went through Johnny Goodrow a couple summers ago. You know, ultimately, if, if you know, and it's looking this way more and more, that, that if Noah Hannafin isn't signing an extension in Calgary, I expect him to be moved. I, I think Chris Tanev will be in the same position. And, and, you know, what you might see Calgary do is they did the Elias Lindholm deal. In addition to, to getting the, the futures back, they also took back Andre Kuzmenko, who they put right into their lineup and, and can score goals. I mean, maybe maybe you won't see them make the traditional rental deals where it's all just for futures. Maybe they'll prioritize also getting some warm bodies back to, to try to stay in the race as much as they can. But, you know, I think that this is very much a situation they, they can't afford to not sign these guys and, and, and or not trade them. And, and, you know, I think that they'd still like to, in a perfect world, sign Noah Hannafin, but you know, time is, is clearly ticking here and it really, really appears that he's going to go and test free agency. And so, you know, now it's, it's two and a half weeks to make two more big trades, at least for, for Craig Conroy. And, you know, he's already made a couple already this season. The Flames have made the determination internally and I've shared this with other front offices. They're not building retooling. And I know we get into the, you know, these words and what do they mean? What they mean is, you know, they don't want to go into a 10-year abyss. They're not tearing it down, but they are flipping over, as CJ says, the obvious assets. Um, and that's what's going on. And, you know, one of the things they've done smartly, in my opinion, is they spread it out a bit. Zadorov was an early season trade. Lindholm was the biggest chip of all. He's already been taken care of. So you're not getting to March 8th and having 19 files in front of you and, and, and being overwhelmed by it. So they've spread it out, which is smart. They will trade Tanev. For sure, Hannafin, as CJ says, it's, an, it's been an interesting weekend as we've dug in that one as to exactly what's happening. But I, like, I think the Flames would still sign him if he told them today he would sign, but it doesn't look like they're getting an answer. So 
they have to talk to teams about trading him. Um, and of course, Jacob Markstrom, whom the Devils have tried and the Bulls remain interested, but we'll see what happens with him. He doesn't have to move now. He can be a June trade, uh, an off-season trade, but uh, the Flames are absolutely still uh, willing to move parts. Um, that's that's their priority right now. They, they don't think they're making the playoffs, no matter what they say publicly. Hey, guys, as we as we wrap up, uh, kind of weird timing with Yarmo Kekalainen, at least just timing in terms of we're so close to trade deadline, general manager relieved of his duties. Uh, at this time of year, what names are you hearing right now as potential replacements for Yarmo Kekalainen in uh, in Columbus? Go ahead, CJ. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to jump on that. <laughs> okay, they haven't really started the process, right? I mean, I think we can start to look at where where they're going to go. They have Rick Nash in their front office, obviously a franchise legend. I know he's taken on more and more responsibility. You know. It wouldn't be surprising, and I don't know where the titles will end up, you know, because front offices are doing things a little differently these days, but I could see him in some kind of elevated role. You know, I've heard some whispers, maybe Mark Hunter is someone that might be on the radar. Uh, obviously, Darren Dreger, our, our, our TSN teammate, has, has reported that Jeff Gorton, you know, may be of interest to Columbus. He's, he's currently the president of Montreal. No, no clarity if the Canadians would ever let him go or what his level of interest in that. But, you know, it does seem as though they're prioritizing, you know, Probably a steady hand, I think would be fair to say. Um, and look, this is, I think it's an appealing job for a potential general manager coming to Columbus. They, they have a lot of prospects in that system. I know it feel like they're two years away from being two years away perpetually. But, you know, it's also been a place where, you know, Yarmo Kekalainen was there for 11 years. They've had three general managers in their entire history. I mean, there's a there's a real sort of pattern that ownership is is very patient and that you have a chance to put your stamp on things. And so I think a lot of, uh, people would be interested. I mean, these jobs just don't come up anywhere too often. Um, but I, I can't give you like hard and fast. These are the five guys that are the top of their list at this point. Yeah, and I thought our Aaron Portsline, who obviously covers the Blue Jackets magnificently, had a you know a really deep list of candidates there a couple of days ago. One of the names, one of the first names that he mentioned was Matthew Darsh, uh, who is the first player ever signed in Blue Jackets history. Um, but the reason that name would have been mentioned is is because he's been he's been in hard on some of these GM jobs. Uh, runner up in Pittsburgh. If Kyle Dubas says no to the opportunity in Pittsburgh, Matthew Darsh is running the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. Uh, he interviewed well in Vancouver, in Chicago, in Montreal. So it just feels like he's always hovering around these opportunities. So he'd be a candidate too. But um, but as you know, CJ says. I mean, I think. There's there's lots of different ways this could go, but uh, we know Mr. Portsline will be all over it. That's for sure. Yeah. Hey, listen, as always, guys, uh, great to kick off our week with the two of you giving us the latest from around the league. So Pierre Lebrun, Chris Johnson, guys, have a great week, and we'll hit you up again next, uh, next Monday. Right on, right on. See you guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Lance, great conversation with uh, LeBron and CJ. And let's bring in our pal, Sean McAdoo. Down goes Brown. Uh, hey, Sean, we asked uh, our insiders about the outdoor game. I, I want to have a little conversation about the the teams rolling into the outdoor game. I love the Flyers all dressing up in the old Rocky sweatsuit stuff. That stuff is great. What do we think of the Islanders just playing it straight, suit and tie with Lou Lamorello? Because they weren't allowed to have any fun. Everyone else had fun. Islanders, no fun. We love Lou, don't we? I mean, look, every team is supposed to do something that captures who they are, where they're from. That's the Islanders, man. They're the no fun team under Lou Lamorello. It's uh, 
It's great. And uh, look, I mean, it's this has become a part of the outdoor game experience, whether you whether you, you whether you love it or whether you just kind of tolerate it. I I mean, I can't imagine anyone out there is so old school that they that they that they don't like seeing a little bit of the personality. You know, sometimes it, I, I couldn't help but see the the flyers coming in the Rocky outfit and think about the Bill Burr rant. Rocky is your hero. The whole pride of your city is built around a guy who doesn't even exist. But I'll, I'll I'll be okay with it. Um, but yeah, it was pretty funny seeing the. I I, I gotta I gotta be honest. Five years from now, I'm gonna remember that more than the you know the police cars and the the rocket and everything. I'll be like, yeah, remember the time Lou wouldn't let anyone have fun? Well, do we think Lou's in on the joke here? Do we give him enough credit that he thinks it's funny that he did it to be funny, or is this just Lou being Lou? You know what? I I as far as I would go is I think it's possible that he knew it would be funny. He definitely didn't do it to be funny. <laughs> that was just a, that would just be a little bonus, a little icing on the cake for him. Like, no, I mean, there's there's no way that like Lou Lamarillo came into a meeting and they were like pitching stuff around. Like, what if we did this? And he was like, guys, you know, what would be hilarious. You know, it'd be a million laughs. And I mean, and everyone turned to him like, all right. Yeah. I mean, Lou, if hey, anytime Lou's going to tell us what's funny, we got to listen. man. this is this guy lives for this stuff. What if we didn't wear anything? No, he's uh I, I think he probably said, no, we're not allowed to have fun. And somebody went, oh, you mean like ironically in a funny way? And Lou just kind of stared at them. And then they went off and shaved. Yeah. Was it the Bruins that started this with the Peaky Blinders thing a bunch of years back? I, that's the first one that sticks out in my mind was the first team to come out and do this when they came out in like the yeah. you know, 1920s gangster look. That that may have been it. I mean, it feels like the Genesis was kind of the the coaches. When they started, like you know, dressing up in the oldest, like old school, the little hats and stuff, know, stuff yeah. and hats and the jackets and that, and then that sort of opened the the door. And now, you know, look, this will probably be like outdoor games itself. It's going to be cool for a while, and eventually, like you know, I don't, I, I don't know what the blue jackets are going to do next year. Like, I don't know what the local uh, uh, Columbus uh, scene uh, would have them do. But like, there's going to be some point where we're going to be like, okay, that's like when. When the senators are walking out dressed as Mounties, we're going to be like, "That's that's about enough." I think we're good. <laughs> that's it. We'll but, see uh, it. Everything we, jumps the shark eventually. So it does um, absolutely. Hey, speaking of, uh, you know, we're talking about Lou kind of clamping down on fun. I want to chat with you guys about Andrew Brunette for a second because Nashville loses nine two uh, against Dallas at home on the weekend. Elliot Friedman reporting on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday that. Andrew Brunette was so upset with his team, who, by the way, they bounced back. They did win on the weekend. But he was so upset with his team, he canceled their planned trip to see a U2 concert at the Sphere. They're playing in Vegas tomorrow. He said, guys, you can't do this. Now, do we think he went too far? And I also, is there the irony of a a guy, imagine a bunch of players in Nashville like, damn, our one chance to see live music. (laughs) You took it away from us. Yeah, but but exactly. do we think he went too far? Are we are we okay with this? How do we feel about an NHL coach canceling a team activity because they lost by seven? Yeah. So, this, and I thought the Hockey Night in Canada debate about this was was kind of interesting uh, because you know just just to set the scene a little more, it, it was I think the idea was normally they had the they they had the games where they didn't play well and they would have come home and practiced for a couple of days. And then gone to Vegas and that the players basically said, hey, can we just go straight to Vegas and do this thing, which was going to be a team event, not just for the players, but also for staff. And, and you know, they were going to bring everybody. So it was a, really an organizational thing. Um, and then they, they played terrible for a couple of games and he didn't like how they practiced and all this. So he, he took it away. And um, on Hockey Night Canada, Kelly Rudy, uh, who, of course, played for a, a very long time in the NHL said that, you know, what, what bothered him was that he's fine with saying you can't do something, but don't give it to the players and then take it away. You know, it's one thing to say no, you know, or or to say, hey, you guys can't can't do this un- unless we win the game. And then if we win, you know, you go off. But he said plans were made. Everybody was looking forward to it. I'm not quite sure I buy that. I, there is that old school part of me that's like, yeah, this is this is what coaches do. They shut things down when the effort isn't there when the results aren't there. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, especially when you're a team that's fighting to stay in the playoff race, I'm not sure you're going to get to the end of the season and go, well, you know, we, we made the playoffs by a point, but uh, boy, we missed out on that, uh, that U2 concert. Um, you know, I, I didn't feel like it went overboard. I, I do feel for 
the staffers and the people yeah. like that were probably like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be the highlight of my whole season. And then it gets taken away. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure this is really all that out of bounds uh, relative to what we've seen from coaches in the past. I, I feel like it's treating the players a little bit like children. I don't love it. Like I, I remember I, my, my memory is a little fuzzy, but it was either the 2011 or the 2012 season. The Blackhawks used to have their big circus trip every year. They'd go out West. They do Western Canada, California, be gone for two weeks. And when when the schedule allowed, Joel Quenville would schedule a trip for the team to go to Vegas. This was before Vegas had a team. So it was a big deal for the players to get to go get a, you know, blow off some steam uh, in Vegas for a night. And they went to Edmonton the night before the Vegas trip. And they lost like nine. I think it was like nine two. I think it was the same. Score. It was the game Sam Gagne had eight points, which, okay. you know, lives in Blackhawks fan lore when Sam Gagne had eight points. And there was real discussion about whether he was going to cancel the trip. The players thought he was going to cancel it. Quenville was weighing whether to cancel it. But he said, no, screw it. You know, it's a long season. These guys, it's one game. I'm not going to completely torch them over that. They went to Vegas. They went fine. They, they wound up, you know, working their way into the playoffs. It wasn't one of their cup years. But, you know, I, I'm with you, Sean. Like, if you promise something, don't take it away from them. That feels like you're taking a child's phone away from them because they got a bad grade on their social studies test. It just, it feels... You know, you're, and, and, and to punish staffers for the players' lack of effort, I don't like. I, I don't like it at all. I think it's a bad move, and I don't think it. I don't think it makes your team better. I don't think it sends the right message. If you're a staffer, like you know, support staff. Is there any way you still go to that concert? Like just quietly, I, even. I that that would like have been can. kind of a nice thing eh? if they could have figured out a way. Like I don't. I, and when we say staff, I don't know. Like obviously, if it was just the trainers and that you need them around if you're running a practice. But if there was a way to say, you know what? No, like we're, uh, you know, it's kind of like you talk about the kid with the bad report card. It's like, yeah, no, you, you don't get to go out for ice cream. The rest of us are still going out the way that we planned. It's you're the one who's not going to, you, you know, you, you're, you can sit in the car and watch the rest of us, uh, enjoy our cone. Uh, it kind of do the same thing for them. That would have been nice, but, uh, I guess, uh, I guess it's not to be, oh, well. Maybe we'll see them at the draft in uh, in Vegas, and uh, you know they can. It won't be you two, but it'll be you two at the Sphere. So oh, hey, that. oh, hey! No, I don't know if that was a pun. It kind of <laughs> you know, sort of, sort of. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, Sean. Every week on Mondays, you drop your power rankings, where you kind of look at the top five teams in the league, bottom five teams in the league, a uh, team that doesn't make either list. And this week, you kind of and you're full, uh, fully transparent. Of hey, listen, people get angry about lists, and this is what happens. But you list five teams whose fan bases might be a little hot that they're not in the top five, and it's it's Carolina, it's Vegas, Winnipeg, Rangers, Vancouver. Now, looking at this as kind of as straight as you can here, as as objectively as you can. Which fan base legitimately should be mad at you that you didn't include them in the top five? Well, I mean, Vancouver's got a great, uh, great case. I didn't have them in the top five. They're the number one team in the standings. We we know by now we're all waiting on the you know the big regression, the big uh, you know all of this stuff. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. They're playing great. They've just added somebody at the deadline. Uh, presumably, other teams will too, but they haven't made their moves yet. So I could absolutely see. Uh, you know, if you're Vancouver, especially the fact that I've got Edmonton in my top five. Now, I don't think that's a that's a crazy case to make. I think you look at the odds makers, you look at Dom's model, you look at all sorts of things. A lot of uh, a, a lot of sources would say, yeah, Edmonton's got a better chance at the Stanley Cup, especially given how they've played the last couple of months. But if I'm a Vancouver fan, I'm sitting there going like, dude, how high in the standings do we need to go? to be considered one of the five most likely Stanley Cup teams? Because we're at number one. I'm not really sure we can go all that much higher. You know, we were talking about this with Pierre and CJ. This does seem like a, a, an unusually wide open year at the top. Uh, is this one of the more difficult years? I, I, you know, to put this, I know it's not, yes. I know it's a very scientific process that you use uh, to put that together, but is this one of the more difficult ones? Yeah, absolutely. This is um, probably maybe the toughest because there are at least 10 teams that you could absolutely, you know, I, I did my five and I think the fifth team on my outside list was Carolina. You could absolutely make a case Carolina is one of the five most likely teams to win the cup. I didn't even have the Maple Leafs in the second five, you know, and and that's a team. You look at the record, you look at the talent, um, that, you know, that's a team that should be there. You look at the Kings, they'd be sitting there saying, hey, what about us? We've sort of straightened it out again. Um, 
the and the the thing that really strikes me is most years at the very least it's always it's almost always tough to come up with your five there's always going to be the difference between five and six is going to be slim but there's there's always a couple of locks you know last year we had boston running away with the president's trophy you could have boston all year long i don't even know who to put at number one i had dallas at number one well, they just lost to Edmonton. You you could make a case that Dallas shouldn't even be in the top five. You could absolutely make that case. It wouldn't be completely unreasonable. And that's the part. It's, you know, it's not just that that pivot from five to six is tough. It's every spot, one through ten and maybe beyond, is just, uh, uh, it, it, who knows? It feels like the, the margins are so tiny. Hey, Sean, w- before we let you go, one thing I want to try to bring back here on the Monday show is you and I, always used to do a fun little segment called This Week in Hockey History. We take a trip down memory lane, maybe uh, educate the listeners on something that they didn't know about or just have some fun with something. So I got a couple things This Week in Hockey History I want to wrap up with. We'll start with this, guys. February 20th, 1971, Phil Esposito scores his 50th goal of the season, and it just happens to be on his 29th birthday, which is really cool, right? You score your 50th goal on your birthday, okay? The next year, he does the exact same thing, scores his 50th goal on his 30th birthday, but he's not done there. A couple of years later, on his 32nd birthday, he scores his 50th goal again. Guys, three times this guy scored his 50th goal on his birthday. That has to be on the short list of craziest hockey facts of all time, no? That's, that is that is pretty wild. I mean, all I can take away from that is Phil Esposito was selfish. This guy obviously could have scored anytime he wanted, and he just decided to save his 50th goal for his birthday. I mean, come on, it's uh, too bad he too bad he wasn't born in November. I mean, he could have it could have chased after Gretzky's records. But I want to know what happened in that one the one year in between. Was that the year that he got to 72 or something like that, or was he was he too far ahead, or did he Good just question? I don't know. What's the matter, Phil? Come on, have a sense of the moment. Unreal. Unreal. Five, uh, three times going 50th on your birthday. Okay, the other one I want to get to, and it's kind of topical because Yarimer Yager was celebrated in Pittsburgh on the weekend. This week in 1996, Mario Lemieux and Yarimer Yager got their 50th goal in the exact same game. In fact, it was in the exact same period. They both got their 50th goal against Hartford February 23rd, 1996. And uh, Mario Lemieux told the story that when they were sitting at 49 each, he turned to uh, he turned to Yager and said, first guy to get 50 buys the other guy a bottle of champagne. Uh, like the other guy has to buy a bottle of champagne for the guy who gets 50 first. Mm-hmm. Mario scores 50 first and Yager does it later. But do you think we would ever see like two guys getting 50 again in the sa- teammates in the same game? Is that ever possible? I mean, it's it 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 feels impossible just because the odds of getting f- two teammates getting fifty seems so slim. But I mean, you could it, the, you immediately think of McDavid and Drysaddle, right? Like that; those are the two that it feels like could could do it. Could could both hit fifty in the same season, and then yeah, maybe maybe roughly in the same game, it'd be pretty uh, it'd be pretty phenomenal to to see it happen. Uh, the, the, everything has to line up just right. But yeah, I I think. Those are the only two right now, as I'm sort of thinking around the league, that I could really imagine doing it um, and and getting in at the same time. And uh, other than that, boy, hard to imagine. All right, Sean, as always, thanks for uh, for for popping by the pod. And we made sure we didn't ask you about uh, three Maple Leafs hat tricks in the past week. We made sure we just steered clear of that entire conversation with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Because if we had mentioned it, it would have jinxed it. And uh, I'm glad that we didn't do that. (laughs) Awesome stuff. We'll see you again uh, down the road. Right on. Thanks, guys. Now, Ian, I got one more this week in hockey history I wanted to share uh, that I don't know if people remember. But 10 years ago today, actually, on February 19th, was the greatest press conference in the history of hockey. This was in Sochi. Uh, Forgive me, I don't remember the Russian coach's name, but I just want to read a snippet of the transcript. This was the translated official transcript from the Olympics. Uh, this was after Russian was was eliminated out of the uh, out of contention for medal contention. The question: What future, if any, do you see for your own work and your own coaching staff? Because you know your predecessor was eaten alive after the Olympics. The coach: Well, then eat me alive right now. Question: No, I mean answer: Eat me, and I won't be here anymore. Question: But we have the world championship coming up. 
Answer. Well, then there will be a different coach because I won't exist anymore since you will have eaten me. Question. But you're staying, aren't you? Answer. Yes, I will remain living. That was the greatest press conference I've what? ever seen. Like, I was watching it in Russian. I didn't understand what they were saying, but they were like just screaming at each other. And when, when the transcript finally came in the translation, the you, I, I, I will not be here anymore because you will have eaten me might be the greatest turn of phrase I've ever heard in a press conference in my life. Oh, my God. That, that, no, that wasn't after TJ Oshie did them in. Was that the, no, that it the wasn't game? that game. That, that game actually wound up not meaning a whole lot. That was lat, that was a few days ago, was the anniversary of that. Um, that, what, at what the do you time, mean I, that game didn't, that well, didn't I mean, matter. For, I thought ne- that neither, was everything, but neither team advanced, you know, neither team got any, you know, it's not like you know anyone won a medal out of it or, 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 or played for the gold medal after that because Canada just suffocated oh. everybody to death that, that okay. tournament. But okay, ha- refresh my memory here because my memory is hazy on Sochi. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was like a knockout game that the loser of no. U- USA it, Russia was out. It, it was a preliminary round, and it basically—I mean, it's not like the United States did anything after winning that game. That game was the coolest game I've ever attended. Like it was, the atmosphere was insane. Vladimir Putin was ten rows behind me. The the drama of it—it was—it was amazing. But neither team even got a bronze out of it, anything. So it, it didn't really carry a whole lot of weight. And Russia was eliminated, I believe, two games later was when they had one more chance to get in and didn't. And that's when this press conference happened. I covered the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. And Canada played Russia. And it ended up being – now, my memory is a little bit better because I was there in Vancouver. And they played in a quarterfinal game. And Canada just stomped all over the Russians. And in that game, though, I remember last, there were Russian journalists, and I'll use the, the term journalist in air quotes, they were cheering oh, God, in the yeah. press box. Like, did that happen in Sochi as well? Oh, like, man. Like, I, I like was sitting next. cheering in the press box. There was one game. I, 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 covered, I was covering like four games a day that I was just living at the rinks. Uh, there was this Latvian journalist who was like a preeminent journalist in Latvia, I was told. And he had... He was decked out head to toe in the Latvian flag, basically. Every article of clothing he had was the Latvian flag. He had Latvian earrings in both ears, and he had a hat, and he had a flag sticking out of his ear, like like you know, someone like a, like a contractor puts a pencil behind his ear. It was yeah. a Latvian flag, and he spent the entire game. I can see him writing his story with this flag just dangling off of his right ear. I, I'll never forget it. Wow. Yeah, it, it's a little yeah, different. You know, and speaking of great press conferences after. Uh, games with the, you know, at the Olympics or whatever. And it was the one in Vancouver where Canada, and I, and I think it was like seven to two. They beat Russia like six or seven to two, knocked them out, and they came out, and it was four nothing Canada before you could even blink. Like it wasn't really even a game. And afterwards, Ilya Brizgalov came out and he spoke to reporters and he said, and I think the quote was, they said, like, how would you characterize the start for Canada? And Breeze said they were like they it was like gorillas coming out of cages. They were like gorillas <laughs> coming out of cages. And I thought I miss unbelievable. Breeze. What a great summation of what uh what H- that was all humongous about. Humongous gorillas. So humongous big. We could just do a top five Breeze Galov quotes. <laughs> my 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 all-time is it's a it's only game. Why you have to be mad? Like that's an all-timer <laughs> to me. He's the why best. Have, I just think. Why, why you have to be so bad? Why you have to be so mad? Uh, you know, we we specifically left out Maple Leaf chatter with with Sean McIndoe because we you know we don't want to talk about multiple hat tricks with the Leaf guy. But let let's be honest here. Austin Matthews with another hat trick against Ridiculous. Anaheim. Uh I mean. Is, is he in the heart conversation now? Like, is he for like? It's, it, it, it's been it's been McKinnon, <laughs> McDavid, and Hellebuck for so long that we yeah. were sure. I mean, if he scores seventy goals, I, does he just just win it by sheer force of will? Isn't it funny how a guy could score seventy playing for the team in like sort of the biggest media market for hockey in North America, mm-hmm. and we're like, I don't know, is he really on the heart trophy radar? It's so true, though, right? <laughs> he's not like if I were voting today, I don't think he'd be on my top three. He'd be in my ballot. He'd be in the top five probably, but I'm a Hellebuck guy first and foremost. I think Hellebuck should be running away with it right now, quite frankly, but McDavid is just 
house of fire right now. And McKinnon's been the best player in the league all year. I, it, it, it's just an incredible time for start. I mean, God, Jamie Ben won the scoring title less than 10 years ago with 89 points. We are just in this star-laden era of just megastars everywhere you look, and it's fantastic. But it makes, you know, these kind of voting makes it a lot harder to do. Yeah, like, but here's here's what Austin Matthews has done. I think he's he's been so good, and he's on pace for 75 now. God. That's, no, but, like, last, if he scores 68 goals – we're going to be kind of disappointed. Like it almost feels like <laughs> 70 is the floor for this guy, it, which is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying that's how good he's been. It's almost like I kind of expect him to get to 70 now. Don't you? Did you ever expect to see a 70 or a 75 goal score in the NHL ever again, ever again? I'll say no, but I mean, Ovechkin got close at 65, but this comes right off the heels of McDavid getting one, 150 last year so is that the same to you like i mean these these are like the magic numbers right these are like the these are the gretzky lemieux you know untouchable numbers pavel bore i guess like these are the numbers that we just kind of like you think of as like this is what they used to do in the 80s when goalies were five foot two and wearing these skinny little pads and didn't know how the butterfly worked and we'd never see that again but we're seeing it for Matthews to be doing that in the modern-day NHL, and I know offense has opened up quite a bit. They've cracked down on destruction in some way. We're not seeing like the Yarmir Yager-type goals against the Blackhawks where he's getting hacked and, 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 and cross-checked along the way. But with goalies, just the simple size of goalies and the equipment they wear and the science behind goaltending, to be threatening 75 goals is truly one of the more amazing things I've seen in sports in a long, long time. I, I'm not saying Austin Matthews is the MVP, but what he's doing, he's having a singular season that should not be ignored. So I'm wondering how you feel about the conversation with Austin Matthews and could he potentially threaten down the road the all-time goals record? And I'm going to give you some, some, some context here because at some point we started thinking about this with Ovechkin, right? Like, like, you know, five, six, seven years into his career, we were like, man, this, this guy keeps it up. So here are the numbers head-to-head -head at the same point, essentially, in their career, okay? At this point in his career, Ovechkin had 371 goals. But that, that's by the end of the season. So by the end of his eighth season in the league, Ovechkin had 371. Matthews is 347, last, which means... He is roughly, you know, 25 goals behind Ovechkin, which he could get between now and the end of the season, which is like, okay, that means after eight seasons, he'll be right on target with Ovechkin. What, at what point do we start to have that thought about Austin Matthews that this guy could get to 850, 900 goals? Well, he's he's only getting better, right? I mean, he's just yeah. entering his prime in, in a lot of ways. And you look at Wayne Gretzky, and, and his goals are so bunched towards the front end of his career when he had like 92 goals and he was scoring at that ridiculous rate. And then the second half of his career, it's like he's a 30-goal scorer. He's a, you know, he, he wasn't like the dumb Like Austin Matthews is built to succeed long-term. Athletes are better now than they've ever been. They're better trained than they've ever been. Their, their nutrition and their sleep and they do everything. Everything, you know, uh, is more scientific-based and more serious. It's taken more seriously now than it ever was. So in theory... Austin Matthews should be able to keep up this pace longer than even Ovechkin could, than Gretzky could. There's no reason to think that if he stays healthy, he can't threaten those numbers. If he's scoring 70-something goals in the modern-day NHL at his age, yeah, he's going to be threatening that number maybe even earlier than we think. You know, last week, Laz, we had a huge conversation about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators and Ridley Gregg and Morgan Riley and unwritten rules. I got to ask you one question here. And I'm not I'm not doing this in a way that I, I think Leafs fans would be like, "Oh, you classic Ottawa guy." And whatever. I just I'm asking a question, okay? So Toronto is up 8-1 on Anaheim on Saturday night. Eight, they're up 8 to 1. Anaheim scores a goal and Toronto challenges it for goalie <laughs> interference. Um is this against the unwritten rules of hockey? You're up by seven, and you ch and it's a third period, right? And you challenge a goal. You just let it go. I and I'm asking this not I just because they're unwritten rules. I don't know what they are, so I I'd like to know. 
I, is that poor I, form? I, I probably it's probably perceived that way. I don't think so. If anything, you got to coach. I, I I didn't see this play, so this is news to me. I must have missed this somehow over the weekend. But this to me is this is a coach sticking up for his goaltender, right? This is yeah, you know, this is stats. You know, a lot of you know arbitration becomes comes down to stats and awards come down to stats and bonuses come down to stats. And this is a goal against that if he felt shouldn't have been a goal against, you're sticking up and you're defending your goaltender in that. I got no problem with that. You know what? I'm going to agree with you where I would throw a, a little bit of a, I guess, a challenge flag, pun intended, is if you challenge for a an offside and you're up 8-1 and it's a really close call, that one I'm like, ah, let it go. Right? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't. I don't believe in like. I don't. I don't believe in you know. You know, running up the score, being classless in any way, and and doing like, look. If you don't like getting beaten nine to one, don't give up nine goals, right? If you don't like uh, a guy slapping the puck into the net for an empty netter, don't be down a goal so that you're giving. You have to pull your goalie. Like I cry me a river. These are professional athletes who should be able to handle a little humiliation every now and then. And you know, hey, you're playing to win. This is a cutthroat business, and you're playing to win. I got no problem with any of that. that all, almost every single unwritten rule I find stupid. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, th- what I love more than the, the only thing I love more than unwritten rules is watching people contort themselves to defend their favorite team. Oh, yeah. Based on the unwritten rule. Every unwritten rule is stupid until it happens to your team. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Laz, let's wrap up the show uh, as we usually do on a Monday with a segment uh, presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner uh, with The Athletic. And Laz, I know that you took the under in the NBA All-Star game. Um, (laughs) Can we just take a moment? I thought it would be a defensive struggle. He's using a stepladder. Oh, man. Like, they basically, it's like a 400-point game, basically, right? But can we just take a moment? here talk about how it feels really good to watch another sport and their fans and their media melt down about the all-star game like doesn't that feel good it does it's 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 like it's like affirming somehow right like oh it's not just us right because like the pro bowl the nfl like nobody has ever cared about the pro bowl so it's like it's never even in the conversation but the nba all-star game it's like the NHL All-Star Game, right, where people are excited for the three-point contest and the dunk contest 
And, you know, the whole skills night is overshadows the game usually. Everyone has a good time at that. And then the game happens. We're all like, this is an abomination. These guys should be ashamed of themselves. And I feel like in the NHL All-Star game this year, that third game, there was a little bit of effort. I mean, guys weren't throwing hits or anything, but there was a little bit of effort with that million dollars on the line. And for once, for once, hockey fans can feel a little superiority over NBA fans because our game was a little bit less awful than theirs was. Yes. 397 points. Steven, 211 points. Yeah. 211 points. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, I, that, I thought that was a, um, quite the story for the weekend. Well, let me ask this. Like, like, you know how the NBA keeps bringing this Mac McClung kid from the, from the G League for the dunk contest? He won it for yeah. the second straight time because that's his specialty. Do we want to see more of that in the NHL? Like, this year with the skills competition, we had the best of the best competing and, and it was and it, it was the best skills competition we've had in a long time but do we want to see more kind of specialists in some ways do we want to highlight some guys that aren't all-stars that we could put them in some kind of you know it, it, I, it, I don't know if we have anything that's quite as dramatic as the dunk contest but like Al Iafredi if, if I remember wasn't an all-star every year they just trotted him out for the hardest shot right like do we want to see a little bit more of that yeah did they not used to do it where like every team would have their own competition and then Whoever had like the hardest shot within, then they would send those guys to the All Star game. Like, oh, that's that would be cool. I, I don't remember yeah, that at all. I think that. Well, anyway, I think that's how they used to do it. But that's like because what if your third liner has the hardest shot in the game? I maybe I'd like to see that. Maybe maybe your uh, second pair defenseman is the fastest skater yeah, if, in the league. If every, if every team did like a midnight madness kind of event, like where, you know, at uh, you know, the start of a college basketball season where they just have like all their players do a skills competition before a game. And then you take like the five hardest shots that are registered yes. in that, in, in the individual events and you send them to the all-star game and they get to compete. That could be kind of fun. I'd be up for that. Yeah. I think, you know what? I think I like that idea, but like, all I can think about this year is the Kucherov. From <laughs> the all-star game. That's all I can think about. Well, that's a you take a guy out of it, you know. Will will a guy be excited to get his only chance to ever participate in an all-star format? Or will he be like, dude, this is my vacation. I don't want to be out here trotted out like a sideshow pony here. What is this? Oh man. Hey, uh I want to ask you a question here, wrapping it up here about game of the week. We're gonna look ahead. I'm gonna give you four games that are on the NHL schedule this week, Laz. You're gonna tell me which one deserves the billing. NHL game of the week. Okay. So we've got Tuesday night, Vancouver and Colorado, a couple of powerhouses in the Western conference that I think Vancouver now has Stanley cup aspirations. Colorado obviously wants to get back there. So that's Tuesday, Wednesday, it's Boston and Edmonton. And that should be a lot of fun given uh, where both those teams are Saturday night, Boston, Vancouver. And we saw them play each other a couple of weeks ago in Boston it's the return engagement in Vancouver, Bruins Connects, or Sunday. And I know that the stakes aren't as high from a Stanley Cup perspective, but maybe this is a big game in terms of, hey, are we or aren't we a playoff team? It's Philly at Pittsburgh. Laz, what deserves NHL label game of the week? I'm a Western Conference guy. Give me Vancouver, Colorado all day. Like, I, I understand like that, like that game doesn't have a huge bearing on the standings. Those are in both those teams are in the playoffs comfortably but that might be the two kind of like you throw Edmonton in there I suppose but like the 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 closest thing we have to like globetrotter teams that are just high skill high octane high speed they play the game the way everybody wants to see it played that's you know know, Dallas I, I I still have Dallas coming out of the west I think that's the best overall team but Vancouver is so much fun to watch Colorado is always fun to watch McKinnon just go ham on everybody like that's the game I want to watch is Colorado Vancouver. And I'm going to use some, by the way, I'm going to use some creative editing to go back to our original segment with Chris Johnson and Pierre Lebrun. And we're just going to have you say Dallas is the team to beat. And we're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to tell you that it's an NHL comment. We're just going to be like, yeah, see, we're all Cowboys don't, fans. Don't you dare. Cause I will have eaten you and you will have ceased to exist. <laughs> okay. I'm going Boston, Vancouver, man. Like you can't tell me that that like, that's one of the most fun Stanley Cup finals of the cap era in terms of an, like real true animosity and hatred, right? Like oh, yeah. 2011, 
So wouldn't you love? Like they're still Saturday scarred night? in Vancouver from that. Like if you mentioned the Ooh. city, I, I I I might have told this story on the podcast, and forgive me if I have, but I once saw the the movie Molly's Game in Vancouver. It was like opening weekend, and it was a packed house. It was you know it was uh, Jessica Chastain. She's got running a poker game and all that. And I'm I'm in a completely sold out movie theater in Vancouver. And the opening montage of that movie is a series of just like horrible things happening in sports. You know, the, the 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 agony of defeat, skier crashing, things like that. And one of the clips they used was the Vancouver riots and Boston beating Vancouver. And you could feel the collective air get sucked out of the room as every single sphincter in that room tightened. They're like, Aah! and it was one of the funniest things I've ever been a part of. So that that was like years after the actual uh, um, yeah Stanley Cup final. So like, yeah, there's always going to be a little juice behind Vancouver, Boston, just because of the history there. But Frankly, I I just I'm sick of watching Boston and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. I want to see Western Conference teams on the biggest stage more often because I feel like, you know, the 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 TV stations are so skewed towards the east because of the timing of the games. Like let's give the west a little love, man. You know what? You're the only one who can actually weigh in on this because you're not in the eastern time zone and you're not in the pacific time zone. You're the only guy who could look at this neutrally. Fly over country, baby. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. well, we're, we're right. the ones that get stuck with the 8.52 p.m. puck drops during the playoffs, the poor central times. Oh, they yeah, think that, we're, that, they, they think we're on the West Coast. Yeah, that's no good. That's no good. But I'm taking Boston, Vancouver, because I want to see – I feel like if Brad Marchand had a chance to score an empty net goal in Vancouver, he might he go li- full Ridley Gray. He would lick the puck before hey? pushing it. He, he, would, he, would, he would lick the puck into the net. Oh, man. Hey, before we let you go – uh, you're doing this pod from Raleigh, North Carolina, getting set for Hurricanes in Chicago. What do you got coming up this week? Are you back home after this? What's what's Laz's week like? Back home after this, figuring out uh, as many different ways to put Connor Bedard into a headline as possible. <laughs> That's just it. Yeah. Believe it or not, people do not want to read the Philip Kershev story I'm going to have in tomorrow's uh, tomorrow in the Athletic. I almost said tomorrow's yeah. paper. That's how old yeah, I am. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow's print edition of the Athletic. Uh, we should do right. that. We should we should come up with a magazine, the Athletic magazine, like the best uh, every week, and try to be the new the National. <laughs> oh man, that would be that would be something. All right, we'll leave it there. Safe travels. Uh, this is always a blast doing the show with you on a Monday. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Leave us a five star rating and review if you are enjoying what you are hearing. And right now, you get a one year subscription to the Athletic for $2 a month when you visit athletic.com slash hockey show.